Turn to Luke chapter 11. No neutrality or no neutral ground. Luke 11 verse 23. Luke chapter 11 verse 23. This verse says there is no neutrality. When it comes to Jesus Christ, he that is not with me is against me. And he that gathereth not with me scattereth. A preacher had come to the church and he was there for a few Sundays and he began to preach and he preached about uh, philosophy and current events what happened in the paper the week before and he preached uh, psychology preached everything but the Bible so in a few Sundays there was a note on the pulpit as he went to the pulpit there's a note up there it was a scripture from the gospel of John it said this sir we would see Jesus John 12 sir we would see Jesus <coughs> so he took that note with him home and he began to examine his own heart came back to the pulpit and he seemed to be on fire for God and he was preaching Jesus and and uh, in a few Sundays there's another note laying there it was also from the gospel of John and it said this we were glad when we saw the Lord we were glad when we saw the Lord God <coughs> is speaking in this passage and he sets before us tonight a strong truth and he says in verse 23 he that is not with me is against me he said concerning me you cannot remain neutral there is no middle ground and a lot of folks are convinced that you can stand on middle ground when it comes to Jesus Christ. Jesus said that is not possible. You have to take sides. You have to be either for him or against him. There is no neutrality. The setting of this text, <coughs> why these words were spoken and to whom they were spoken I want you to note now with me the groups that are here in chapter 11 and verse 1 you have those who wanted to follow Christ they even wanted to pray like him it says it came to pass that as he was praying in a certain place when he ceased, one of his disciples said unto him, Lord, 
teach us to pray as John also taught his disciples and then of course Jesus taught them what we call uh, the Lord's Prayer the disciples prayer and you have in verse 1 those who really wanted to follow Christ they said Lord we don't know how to pray teach us to pray and then in verse 14 you have another group and it says he was casting out a devil or demon remember there's one devil many demons sometimes the word devil is used for the word demon and he was casting out a demon and it was dumb and it came to pass when the demon was gone out the dumb spake and the people wondered here you have opposition to it they saw him perform a miracle but they were still opposed to it <clears throat> remember miracles in the Bible there are different kinds of miracles there's miracles of wonder and there's miracles of judgment that's a miracle too miracles of judgment <clears throat> You remember in the Old Testament when the prophet was surrounded by the enemy and God struck them all down with blindness? That was a miracle of judgment. He had to lead them, the army. Syrian army had, had to lead them by his hand back into town. They couldn't, they couldn't find their way. They were blind. And so here are, fo- are folks who wondering about Jesus they still opposed to him and then <clears throat> here is open opposition in verse 15 and some of them said he casteth out devils or demons through Beelzebub chief of the devils or demons the word Beelzebub in the Bible means lord of the flies Beelzebub means fly Lord of the flies. Uh, this is has to do with demonism, and one of these days we get strong enough, we may preach on demons. If we all get strong enough, because you don't want to do that unless you're real strong. You see, now I'm not kidding. That's that's so. But here is Beelzebub, chief of the demons. And then there's another group mentioned here in verse 16. And others tempting him sought of him a sign from heaven. These people just looking for a sign. Do you know there's folks tonight still looking for a sign? They say, well, if the Lord would do so and so, then I'd believe on him too, you know. They'll never believe on him because he's not going to perform something just for them. You see, he didn't. He didn't while he was walking here on earth. And he's not going to do it tonight. But there's folks that are just looking for a sign, you see. Look at verse 17. Here is the Lord knowing their thoughts. But he knowing their thoughts said unto them, Every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation, and a house divided... uh, against the house falleth 
If Satan also be divided against himself, how shall his kingdom stand? Because you say that I cast out devils or demons through Beelzebub. And if I by Beelzebub cast out devils or demons, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore shall they be your judges. But if I with the finger of God cast out devils, no doubt the kingdom of God is come upon you. <coughs> then he gives a little parable. When a strong man armed keepeth his palace, his goods are in peace. But when a stronger than he shall come upon him and overcome him, he taketh from him all his armor wherein he trusted and divideth his spoils. And of course in this is the undecided one. In this little uh, parable he gives is the undecided ones. All right, you have those who wanted to follow Christ. You have those who are looking for signs. You have those who are openly opposed to Christ. You have some that are very excited about following him. And then you have the undecided ones, the uncommitted ones. But you cannot remain neutral or undecided. Not to decide is to decide not. You can't remain neutral and say, I'll not take a position, you see. And folks try to do that, and they try to just go along for the ride, but that's not so. You must either before Christ or against him. And uh, the setting of this text will not let anyone straddle the fence. Now the meaning of the text. The text exposes all who say, I'm not for him and I'm not against him. I'm on middle ground. I'm neutral. Uh, I want to remain in no man's land. But no one can be neutral. Now I want to uh, name three things on which you cannot be neutral concerning Jesus Christ. Number one, there is no neutrality concerning his person. Christ is who he says he is, or he's not. He is one or the other. He is either the greatest one in all of the universe for he's the greatest deceiver I say this with reverence he is either the greatest one or he is the greatest deceiver that ever came this way now you see you must decide on the person of Jesus Christ as he's presented to mankind now watch it in chapter 11 verse 17 He's presented as God. He knew their thoughts. Do you see that? But he, knowing their thoughts, said unto them. Can you, can you picture this? Jesus up before the crowd, and he's looking down into their hearts. He still looks down in the heart. He still looks down in our hearts tonight. He knows what we think in our hearts. Like the little girl in 
the mother was correcting it and uh, told it to sit down and so she sat down but she kept saying I'm standing up I'm still standing up in her heart she's standing up you see still rebelling sometime we act that way with God he knew their thoughts he's presented as God look at verse 20 he's presented as a son of God verse 20 but but if I with the finger of God cast out devils demons no doubt the kingdom of God is coming to you he's presented here as the Messiah the one who was to come the son of God and then down in verse 21 22 he is presented as the anointed appointed sent one the one who is stronger than Satan the one who goes into Satan's palace and takes away all of his goods the stronger than he there's one stronger than Satan that's the Lord Jesus he's presented here as the appointed anointed sent one and then verse 24 through 26 when the unclean spirit is gone out of a man he walketh through dry places seeking rest and finding none he saith I will return unto my house from whence I came out and when he cometh he findeth it swept and garnished then goeth he and taketh to himself seven other spirits more wicked than himself they enter in and dwell there and the last state of that man is worse than the first here he's saying there's only one who can really deliver you. You can try to deliver yourself. You can try by a reformation and turning over a new leaf. You know, a lot of folks on tomorrow now, they've been uh, drunk about all weekend, and so tomorrow they're going to turn over a new leaf, and they're going to say, well, I'll never do that again, you know. And they reach out here and scratch their head. It's so big, you know from being drunk and alcohol and dope and all this stuff. But listen, there's only one that can deliver and reformation will not do it. Reformation will not do it. And all these cures for alcoholism, uh, they call it, they don't call them drunks anymore, they call them alcoholics. Is that right? You know what the Bible calls them? Drunks. What the Bible calls them? Drunks. Here is the only deliverer from sin. Here's the only one that can take the chain of sin and break it and let you loose. Here's the only one. And that's in 24 through 26. <coughs> A little boy is taken to the church for the first time he was seated there with his mother and uh, he noticed that behind the pulpit was a picture of Jesus and when the preacher was standing in the pulpit you couldn't you couldn't see the picture but when he moved from it 
you can see the picture clearly. And so, when he got back home, Dad said, Son, how did you like the service? He said, I liked it all right. He said, when the preacher got out of the way, I could see Jesus. When the preacher got out of the way, I could see Jesus. Oh, if we could see him tonight for who he is. He's presented here in his person as God. He's presented as the Son of God. He's presented as the Messiah, the sent one. He's presented as the deliverer. Now, we need to see him for who he is. For if we perceive him less than he is, we're still against him. Let me say that again. If we perceive God to be less than he's presented in Scripture, we still miss him. Still. And uh, I apologize for that statement, not to take it back, but because I cannot make it any stronger. Are you listening? Because this is very important. The God sometimes that we think we're serving is a little God we've made up in our mind and not the God of Scripture. So we've got to get settled on this that we're going to serve the God of heaven, the living God. You see, if you see him less than he's presented to be and the claims to mankind, you're still against him. It's not enough to say he is the Savior. You've got to make it personal and say he is my Savior. He's mine. Now, he may be Savior of the whole world, but he's mine. He's mine. Like David in Psalm 23, he said, The Lord is my shepherd. He's mine. He may be shepherd to the whole world, but he's mine. He's mine. It's not enough just to say he is the Savior. He's my Savior. He's my Savior. I was preaching this message one night, and a man came to me, and he said, Preacher, he said, I I wouldn't go overboard like you do. On this. He's arguing with me a little bit. I said, Listen, a lot of folks who think that I've gone overboard, they've never got in the boat. They don't. They've never got in the boat. We're to quit pretending and be honest. Is he your Savior? Is he yours? There is no neutrality concerning his person. And then... <clears throat> The second thing, there is no neutrality as to the claims that he sets forth for mankind. Let's look at some of these claims. Go to John chapter 10 and verse 30. He claimed equality with the Father. John 10, 30. He claimed to be equal 
equality with his father. Now look at it. I and my father are one. No wonder the Jews reached down and took up a stone that says in verse 31 to throw at him. This man, they understood him clearly that he was claiming to be God. And they reached down and got the stones and were going to throw them at him. He was claiming equality with the Father. He said, the Father's God and I'm God and I and my Father are one. One. This is a verse that the cults, especially the uh, Jehovah's Witnesses, uh, they have done away with this in their Bible. They don't believe. They don't believe in Father and Son. You see, they don't believe in Trinity. And so, as you pick up the translation they use, I believe it's called New World Translation or something. And you turn quickly to this verse, you'll see. It does away with it. For the meaning of it. You see, he's saying, I claim to be God. I claim to be God. That's one of his claims. And listen to me now. No neutrality on the fact that he claims to be God. You cannot be neutral on the fact that Jesus claims to be God. You must take a position on that. And then, in John chapter 5, verse 25, <clears throat> he claims to have life and to give life. This is another claim. Verse 25, Burly, burly, I say unto you, the hour is coming, and now is when the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God, and they that hear shall live. He said, I'm going to give them life. They're dead. They're out there in, in the graveyard. And one of these days, I'm going to bring them up. Not only that, but if you make spiritual application as he was here, one of the, he, he said one of these days they hear and they hear in a church service. They hear the message. And then the time comes when they hear. They really hear the message. And they're saved. He said, I give them life. Who's got life? Jesus. He claimed to have it. He's got it. Look at verse 26. For as the Father hath life in himself, so hath he given to the Son to have life in himself. Not only did he claim to be equal with his Father and to give life, he claimed to Raise the dead. Claim to raise the dead. Look over in chapter 11, verse 25. Jesus saith unto her, that is unto Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Believest thou this? 
she said, Lord, I know my brother will rise again and when at the, ju- at the resurrection. Jesus said, I am the resurrection. You have to wait till then, Martha. He is on his way then to raise him up. He'd been dead four days, but he came out of that tomb. And if you'd go to Lazarus' tomb, it's a big cave on the side of a mountain. And they go in the opening here and then go down. And then the family graveyard is on the sides. They make holes in the sides of a cave. And the father's buried here and the mother there and around the cave like that. It's way down in the ground. I went down in it. But Jesus stood on the outside and said, Lazarus, come forth. Don't you imagine this was something now? Think with me. With your sanctified imagination. Here he comes out all bound up with the grave clothes and everything and he's coming up out of that thing. You know what Jesus said? Loose him and let him go. And they unwound all this stuff off of him and Lazarus was living. He'd been dead. Four days now he's alive. Went home with him. Jesus claimed to raise the dead. There is no neutrality on that now. He's the one that raises the dead. He's the one. He demands absolute religious affection, love. We preached about that this morning. He demands it from everyone. Second, he claims absolute religious trust. He said, in my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. And then in verse 6 in John 14, he said, I am the way. I'm the way to the father's house. I'm the truth. I'm the life. That's trust. Thirdly, he claims absolute religious obedience. Now, turn back to our passage we're looking at, Luke 11. Verse 27, 28. When he was talking to this group, It says in verse 27, It came to pass, as he spake these words, certain women of the company lifted up, a certain woman of the company lifted up her voice and said unto him, Blessed is the womb that bare thee and the paps which thou hast sucked. Now look at verse 28. But he said, Yea, rather blessed are they that hear the word of God and keep it. Here is religious obedience. Now listen, the word religion, nothing wrong with that word. It's a good word. It's just that folks have used it wrong. Religion religion is the outward performance of what's in the heart. 
So <clears throat> he claims absolute obedience. He said, blessed are those that hear and keep the word of God. Keep it. <clears throat> and so there's a supreme fact set forth in what I've given you now, the second point of the claims. There's no neutrality on them. You can't dodge them. No neutrality. you got to take a position on who Jesus is as a person and the claims that he made. You have to take a position on that. I read of the Battle of the Alamo. By the way, I got a letter from that man down in Texas the other day. Uh, he, he lives at Alamo, Texas. And I met him in Georgia. And uh, he's got to work down there among the Mexicans. And uh, that's close to San Antonio, isn't it? And uh, <clears throat> he, he's writing to me and he's trying to work out something. Now, that'd be the other side of the world for me to go down to that place. But, <clears throat> and uh, I don't speak Spanish anyway, but <laughs> uh, they have an interpreter. I read about the Battle of the Alamo. And it came down to where just a few of the men were left in a building. And so the man in charge, the captain, said to them, he said, this is the end. We're going to die. He said, if any of you men want to go out that door and run, you go out and run. He said, the rest of us are going to stay. He said, in fact, I'm going to draw a line on this floor. And he took his knife or whatever he had and made a line on the floor. And he said, all of you that want to stay, just cross over the line. If you want to stay and fight for Texas, in the battle. There was a man dying in that room. He's almost dead, but he revived up at that. And he hollered for the captain. And he said, I know I'm dying, but carry me across that line. He said, I want to die on the right side of the line. I do, don't you? He said, I want to die on the right side of the line. He took his position. He was not neutral. He loved Texas. There's a third thing. There's no neutrality concerning his person, concerning his claims, a third thing, no neutrality as to his work among mankind. He's the end-gatherer of Israel. He's bringing them from all nations now back <coughs> to the land. Since 1948, the flag of David has been flying. When I began to preach, 
I used to preach it like this. I said, one of these days, I don't know how God's going to do it, but one of these days, he's going to bring Israel back to the land. That's the way I had to put it. In 1948, I have lived to see, in 1948, the Jews being gathered back to their land. And the flag of David is flying tonight over that little land. And those scriptures have been fulfilled, many of them, that I used to preach was in the future. You have lived to see it in your day. He's the end gatherer of Israel. A lot of those Jews coming from all over everywhere, when they landed in a plane, they got out and kissed the ground. Their home land, Palestine. I'll tell you something. After going there and looking at it and after reading what the Bible says about it, when they come back to the land, I'm here to tell you they're not going anywhere else. And Russia can say that they'll drive them into the sea and all the nations around them can say that they will drive them into the sea. But I tell you now, you'd have to kill every Jew to do that. They're not going anywhere else. That's their homeland. They're going to stay there. God has brought them back to that land for a purpose. And if you talk to one of them, as I have, he's up on his tiptoes looking for the Messiah to come the first time. He doesn't believe Jesus is the Messiah. He's looking for their Messiah to come if he's an Orthodox Jew. I've seen them go to the wailing wall, take little prayers written out on paper, and stick them in the wall. And on those papers is written this. By the way, I had the guide to, to tell me, you know, what was written on them. Here's what's written on them. Messiah come. Messiah come. Isn't that the same prayer we pray? Come, Lord Jesus. We're praying for his second coming. Come, Lord Jesus. Thy kingdom come. They're praying for what we're praying for. For the Lord to come. They're praying in ignorance that he hasn't, that he, they don't know he came, has already been here. One day they will. The ingatherer of Israel. All the puzzle will fit together when Jesus comes. All of the tangled ends that look like they don't fit, they're going to fit together like a puzzle when Jesus comes.